Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of the Be With podcast, a podcast about the art and practice of care with me, your host, Barbara Aroshna. Hi, friends, and welcome. I'm so excited that you are back here for the second episode. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, If you did not listen to the first episode, then something you might not know is that today's episode is actually a replay of an Instagram Live that I hosted several months ago, during which I announced that I was going to be creating this podcast. Um, That Q&A featured an hour's worth of me answering questions all about feelings, and so today you're going to be listening to the first half an hour of that live stream. Now, get ready. The audio was recorded on an iPhone 4, so it sounds a little bit differently than this fancy mic audio, but the learning that we shared there that day, the questions that I answered were so good that I felt like they would be a really good base for us to have kind of at the beginning of the podcast as a groundwork for the ways in which I'm going to invite you to think about feelings during the podcast, thinking about feelings as good, not as good or bad, but as morally neutral, thinking about feelings as just simply human, thinking about feelings as uh, flags waving for our attention and trying to give us information about our own process. And so yeah, I invite you to listen to the first half an hour of the live stream. I'll be doing the second half an hour of the live stream on our next podcast. Um, but I'm really excited about the the half an hour that you're going to listen to today because I get to address some of my favorite topics, things like guilt, things like shame, things like sadness, things like feeling like we're good enough. Um, because even though these are real pain points for so many of us, when we learn how to work with them in constructive and patient and self-compassionate ways, that's when we really get to unlock our power and our joy and our self-care in a way that actually nourishes us and helps us move forward and build the lives we want to build and create the change in the world that we want to create. So before I send you on to the second episode of the podcast, if you haven't heard already, I'm actually going to be doing a little bit of touring at the end of July. Uh, which I am so excited about. And I'm going to be going to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and then Syracuse, New York. Uh, And I'll be in Pittsburgh on July 28th and 29th, and then in Syracuse on the 31st and the 1st. And I'm really stoked about the workshops that I'm going to be leading. Both are going to be the Be With workshop and the Masterclass, with the workshop always taking place on the first night and the Masterclass on the second. And the way that this event works is that if you want to attend both, you are welcome to. If you want to just attend the first night, that's fine. If you want to attend the Masterclass, which is on the second night, you have to attend the first. To tell you a little bit about the structure of the workshop and the masterclass, the first night is always a little bit of a bigger event. So, you know, the capacity kind of maxes out at 25 or 30 people. Uh, Cis and trans women and genderqueer folks are welcome to attend the event. Cis men, you are not invited to this event, but you can always still see me in private practice if that's something that you're interested in. And so the event is really an opportunity for us to slow down and begin to undo some of the learning that we've received within kind of personal development or personal growth work and to take our attention away from what we can do to quote unquote make ourselves better because I think that's a BS idea because you're awesome as you are and how to move towards um, personal growth work more from an understanding of the fact that in order to 
experience more joy, more pleasure, and more fullness in our lives, the thing to actually do is support ourselves as we are rather than try to quote unquote better ourselves. So the first night we kind of look at all the different ways that we have tried. Uh, I tell share a bit of my own story around all the ways that I have tried in the past to quote unquote make myself better or happier and how that worked against me until I was able to finally slow down and recognize that I could listen to my own intuition, my own pleasure, my own pain points as guiding symbols on what I actually needed, how I needed to be supported, and that the better supported I was, the happier I felt, the more I was able to give back to my community, um, and the more I was able to have autonomy in my world and in my yeah, in my emotional practice and my mental health. And so the first night we're going to be talking about that as a large group. We'll do some partner work, some journaling, some gentle movement. Um, And then the second night is always a masterclass. So it's a much more intimate event that I usually like to cap at 11 or 12 people. And there you'll actually get to receive some one-on-one coaching from me. And you'll also get to watch the other participants in the group receive one-on-one coaching as well. And in that way, we're able to see that all of our kind of deep inner emotional labor work can be shared um, and is not meant to be carried on our own. And that even though the specific issues that each of us face are very different, under all of that is the foundation of the human experience and how much we actually have in common with each other when we're able to share that from a place of vulnerability and the amount of strength and power that that gives us back to us when we're able to own our own story and share our experience and be supported in that and held not just by me but also by a community of women around you. So if those workshops sound like something that you're interested in, I would love for you to visit my website, bewith.org, and check out the events page for more information. Um, And I would love to see you there and give you a hug if you have started listening to the podcast or if you've been following me on Instagram maybe for a couple of years. Um, It's always so, so great to connect with people in person who I've messaged with uh, on Instagram or, uh, yeah, who I know have been kind of following my work for a while. Um, So thanks for letting me do that promo. I hope to see you in person soon. Um, If these two events aren't close to you and you are somewhere else in the U.S. or in Canada and you want me to bring the workshop and the masterclass to your city, reach on out and let me know. I know I'm trying to line up some other cities, uh, Nashville, L.A. There's been kind of like talk of other cities in the works and those will happen in their own right time. Um, And then I'll probably also be hosting some bigger events here in Toronto as time goes on as well once I feel like I'm ready for it. Now, without further ado, let's get to the first half of the live stream and our second episode. Enjoy. Question number one was real good, and I feel like a really bright place to start, a very proactive place to start is what I'm going to say. Um, it was The question was, what are your favorite ways to feel like you're enough? Uh, the question of enoughness, of worthiness, came up a few times uh, in a few different people's questions. Um, I don't know how many submissions I got. Probably over 15 or 16 enoughness came up at least three times, um, which is actually a pretty high ratio. It's something a lot of us think about a lot. Um, what I like about the phrasing of this question, like, what are your favorite ways to feel like you're enough, is that that's already a priority for this person uh, to even recognize that they're that there are ways that we can affect feeling like we're enough in the world. Um, I think that's really important to remember. Sometimes we hand our power off and we forget that we have 
we have the choice uh, to be able to move into a place of feeling better about ourselves. Um, it's not always easy and it's not always quick, uh, but it is possible. Um, and this is kind of where I want to explore the way that we do it is often I'm going to say count, not counterintuitive because I think intuition is really important. We'll talk about that. But I think it's countercultural to the way that we're told to feel like we're enough. So the narrative that most of us are given is that in order to feel like we are enough, we have to either produce enough or be enough uh, for someone else um, or be enough in terms of appearance or be enough uh, in terms of what we are accomplishing. Um, and the truth is that when we do that, we set ourselves up for kind of a, a failing situation. Most of us know this piece of it, which is that when we say, um, once I am, insert adjective here, skinny enough, once I am a manager, once I um, have resolved this conflict in my life, once I have uh, achieved this status of life that I want to have, like uh, have a baby, have the right job, have the right body, whatever that thing is, then I will feel like I'm enough. Then I will feel like I'm worthy. Then I will get to be happy. Then I will feel like our family is a real family. Then I will feel like I've made it in my career. Then, then, then. And so we set ourselves up in this kind of loop, like when I get this, then I'm going to have this. Except most of us know that when we get there, we either number one, don't actually feel like we have made it. Like suddenly our eyes are already on a new a new standard over there and we're like chasing that never ending carrot that's attached in front of us that we're like constantly going after. Um, that's the first thing that happens. Or the second thing that happens is we, we don't reach that thing and end up pinning our joy and our enoughness to something that we might never get. And in that way, we steal our joy and our sense of enoughness away from ourselves. And we make it really conditional based upon reaching whatever that thing is. Um, and so the way that I like to practice enoughness and worthiness is really by flipping that model um, and asking, like, what if I can start from a place of knowing that I am enough just as I am right now? So really uh, by practicing radical acceptance of what is present right here and right now. Um, now, if you're someone who's like super law of attraction and you're like, hey, I actually like to envision what's in the future rather than just getting caught up in the limitations here. Um, I just want you to hold tight. Um, I don't want you, what I want you to know is that practicing accepting what is here right now is about actually allowing what is here right now and fully validating what is here. It is blessing what is here. Um, and so it's about really actually turning our eyes back to what is currently present and saying like, you know what, this is good enough. This is good enough. I am worthy enough. Um, so some really simple, practical examples of doing this that I think are accessible to us, no matter what our resources are, no matter where we are in the world, uh, no matter how busy are we are, no matter what kind of job situation we're in, what kind of relationship we're in, um, is by noticing how we relate to ourselves in the moment um, when a feeling or a need comes up. So first, let's look at example in terms of feeling. So the way that I love to practice knowing that I am enough and feeling like I am enough is that when a feeling will come up that's kind of uncomfortable or, uh, you know, really difficult for me to process or something that I feel like I have a difficult relationship with. So I'll give the example of anger, which is also something lots of folks asked about. When I notice anger rising up inside me, um, my first impulse is usually to kind of feel shame 
and to feel disorientation um, and to feel the need to release it through usually projection and blaming um, because anger is not an emotion that I was raised up uh, to have in a healthy way. There was a lot of anger in my household growing up, like way too much anger in my household growing up. Um, and what I learned from that was that like anger equaled abuse, anger equaled um blame anger equaled you get to do whatever the fuck you want and then you don't have to be accountable for it no one apologizes for anything instead we just pretend like it didn't happen and we forgive it immediately without apologies because this is what family does that's like the story I was given about anger so now as an adult when I feel really angry it has the tendency to kind of like disorient me and freak me out because I'm like oh my god I hate this emotion I have to throw it at someone. I have to get it out of my body. Um, and in that way, what I do is I reject my own experience of feeling angry at that moment. I literally reject myself in that moment when I notice myself getting angry. And rather than slowing down with it, I either blame someone or I go into a shame spiral. Neither of those is supportive. Neither one of those is practicing like actual self-love and self-acceptance. Practicing actual self-love and self-acceptance, practicing that worthiness for me means slowing down and actually validating what I'm feeling. So really like being like, oh, wow, anger's coming up. I can notice that because what I want to do is like yell at my partner for something that like totally separate um, that has nothing to do with what's going on in the present moment. Um, okay, that's like a signal to me. That's like one of the things I do. So that's a signal to me that I'm angry. So I'm going to just like notice I'm angry, first of all. So first of all, the thing I'm doing is I'm not rejecting being angry. I'm just like noticing it, which means I'm already allowing it. I'm already accepting it. I'm already, even if I'm not blessing it yet, I'm at least like, oh, hey, anger, you're there. That's already step one. Amazing. Step two, I'm saying, Okay, I'm going to take like a few deep breaths and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to give myself a moment. I'm going to tell myself I'm safe and I'm going to just like slow down with my anger here. Okay, I'm feeling really angry. Okay, what am I feeling angry about? Okay, I'm feeling angry about this, about this, about this. For me, if I'm really angry, usually just like a smidge underneath it, sadness. Just like overwhelming, profound, cry my eyes out, sadness. So if I can give myself a moment to slow down enough of that anger, then what I get to do is tap into the sadness. As soon as we tap into that kind of sadness, what we're doing is we're making space for our like inner child, for our like most tender, tender, tender baby self that still lives inside of us at all times. And what I'm doing is suddenly I am blessing the angry Barbara and I'm blessing the inner child Barbara. And I'm affirming in that moment that I am worthy because I am worthy of my time to take a few deep breaths. I am worthy getting to know myself well enough through therapy or coaching to learn that when I am blaming, that's usually a sign that I'm angry. I'm worthy that money. I'm worth that investment. I'm worth slowing down. I am worth all of those things. And that is a lot of investment over time. And yet what I'm doing is each time I make that choice, I'm showing myself that I am worthy. And so for me, a way to practice feeling like I'm enough is, a, is a really about a consistent everyday practice of feeling my feelings and meeting my needs. Um, now we could use that same long example that I use feelings for needs. I'm not going to go into it in detail right now. I'm sure at some point I'll cover it on the podcast. Um, 
But we can apply that to basically anything. But that's one of my favorite everyday things that we can do. So simple. It doesn't cost any really money in the moment. It just costs some of your time and energy and attention, a willingness to slow down. Um, And those are my favorite ways of practicing a sense of feeling worthy is like actually practicing self-respect and honoring myself in the moment when I feel something coming up that's not necessarily easy to deal with. So that's the answer to that question. Um, All right. Question number two. That was question number one. And we are at 13 minutes. So we're going to see how many we get through. Uh, Some of them maybe will speed through faster than others. And also they'll build off of each other. All right. Oh, this was a good one. So this lovely human wrote in about jealousy. So there's always like the presenting feeling, right? So we just talked about the fact that like anger is my presenting feeling, but underneath it is always sadness. Uh, so for this person, the presenting feeling for them in this situation is jealousy. Um, so they've got a situation in their life right now that is just killing them. Do you have one of those in your life? I know you do. Cause I do a situation in your life where you desperately, desperately, desperately want something and you look over in real life or on Instagram and you see someone having that thing that you imagine is making them happy in the way that you want to be happy. And at that moment, your entire body is just like wrecked with jealousy. You're just like green eyed monster up in here. Now, the hardest part of jealousy sometimes is that we feel really guilty for being jealous. And that can feel really, really difficult. So this person was talking about feeling jealous, wanting to release it, knowing that it was not the way that she wanted to be uh, feeling um, and yet experiencing that, you know, that sensation of jealousy Um, and so jealousy is on top underneath it is this sadness that this person doesn't have this thing that they want to have, which all of us have an experience of that. And what they're asking about is the fact that they really want to be able to be happy for someone else when they see that person enjoying that thing, because that's actually what feels good, right? Any of us know that that's what feels good. Um, but what she's feeling instead is jealousy and a lot of, um, a lot of anger in the moment and then underneath it what she's feeling is sad and she wrote about the fact that like when she has that moment she experiences the jealousy and she just feels so sad this like painstaking like you know crying sobbing sad and she doesn't know how to get back to the place of feeling happy for the other person um and so here once again I think it's about you know making space and making room for what we're feeling in the moment and blessing the feeling itself So one of the things that I like to say, and this goes for any presenting feeling that's sitting kind of on top of all the other feelings, um, is that feelings are information. You've probably heard me say this before in an Instagram story. Feelings are simply guiding posts to tell you what's actually going on with you. They're like, um, they're like information about what need is not getting met in your life, um, about what desires you have, about where a boundary of yours might be getting crossed. Um, about what you might be afraid of. Um, Feelings in themselves aren't good or bad. It's not good to feel jealousy. It's not bad to feel jealousy. It's not good to feel joy. It's not bad to feel joy. Feelings are emotionally, like, are actually morally neutral. Um, I mean, what we do based on those feelings, some of that might have moral implications. But a feeling itself is morally neutral. Like, we don't, if we feel sad, sometimes we feel so much shame for feeling sad. But the truth is that, like, if we look at a sad toddler that's just feeling really sad, 
even if they're having a freak out, we may be like, okay, that, that freak out is kind of like a lot to handle right now publicly in this postal office. But we don't think the fact that that toddler is sad is like making that toddler be a bad toddler, right? Like we don't, we don't judge kids that way. And yet we judge that ourselves that way when we're feeling our feelings. And so sometimes with some of these like trickier feelings, um, what I like to call them is difficult feelings. We will really judge ourselves for feeling that feeling. So jealousy is one of the feelings that people love judging themselves for. God knows I love judging myself for it. Um, because we feel like we shouldn't be having the feeling. We start shooting all over ourselves. Um, and so my, my like first A here is like, First of all, jealousy is not a bad feeling. Let's like welcome that that's part of your natural feeling process. I like to think feeling like a feelings like piano keys on a piano. We've got all the different octaves, right? So like at the bottom of the octaves, like dum dum dum. We've got like sadness, grief, jealousy. We go through the middle. It's like boredom, you know, whatever. And then we got the top, ding ding ding. We got like joy, like orgasm, elation. Uh, you know, desire, like all those, and like we got the whole freaking keyboard and we need the whole damn thing to play a concerto. We need all of it. The key is in creating capacity within ourselves to be able to feel across the entire thing so that we can move through a beautiful piece of music, so we can move through a beautiful movement in our lives, whether it is our, you know, a parent's death or a new marriage or a new relationship or a new job, whatever it is. So let's get back to the jealousy example. A little bit of theory, a little bit of example. So she said that the feeling underneath her jealousy was sadness. Okay, so that's our first hint. Sadness is the thing that is underneath her jealousy, which means that really jealousy is just kind of like the hot button that allows her to pay attention to her sadness. So the key first is to not judge the jealousy. Oh, I'm feeling jealous. Okay, it's like super uncomfortable. It's difficult to feel, but it's not bad. Wonder what's underneath it. Oh, what's underneath it is I'm really sad that I don't have this thing that I want. Like I so desperately want the thing. Now, this was touched upon in a lot of the different questions was like, what if we're afraid of getting overwhelmed by and like, kind of like having a feeling take over us is what someone else asked. Like, I'm not afraid of feeling my feelings. I'm afraid of my feelings taking over. So fun fact, they've done some studies on the brain. Um, that sounded really pretentious, but really, they, they've done so many studies on the brain. Um, and one of my favorite findings is that you cannot feel a single emotion continuously um, for longer than 90 seconds if you fully feel it. Now, our emotions are, um, like I said, they're information. And usually they're information that we get communicated to us through our bodies. So even though we feel our feelings often in our hearts, um, if we can pay attention to it, most of our emotions have a place where they're living in the body and they have some physical symptoms that we can associate with that, right? So we most of us can associate, like when we're feeling sad, we'll experience a tightness in the throat. Um, you know, when we're feeling... Uh, grief, we might experience a hollowness in the body. When we're feeling anxious, we might experience butterflies in the stomach, whether that's like happy anxiety or sad anxiety. Um, and so the often our feelings are like a direct 
response to a physical sensation that we're having. And the way that we identify that emotion is really a story we're telling ourselves about the physical experience we're having. Now, when I say story, like I want to respect the story you're telling yourself because you're telling it to yourself for a good reason. So if there's a a physical sensation of feeling hollowed out, of feeling so sad, of sobbing, we literally cannot stay fully feeling that physical sensation and that emotion for longer than 90 seconds without it shifting. This is why sometimes a really good cry is like a big relief. It's because when you cry that hard, you literally force yourself to stay in your physical, your body takes over and you force yourself to stay in that physical experience of that release for longer than 90 seconds. And then what happens is over time, your, your nervous system basically releases it. And it says like, yeah, okay, we've moved through it. We're fully allowing this thing. And so now we can move through it and allow something else to happen. So here I think the, the like difficult but true and I think real advice is that the, the best case scenario in that situation when we're super sad about something and it's coming up as jealousy is that we feel the jealousy, we allow ourselves to drop into the sadness, and then we feel the motherfucking sadness. We like really feel it and we ask ourselves, what support do I need for this sadness right now? Because if we treat the jealousy as a problem, if we treat the sadness as a problem, then we're treating ourselves as a problem because that is a very natural human reaction to have, to feel sad when we do not have something and to be reminded of the thing that that is possible, but it is not possible for ourselves right now. And so when we choose to instead not judge ourselves, what we do is we give ourselves like the permission to actually feel the feeling. We give ourselves the blessing to not judge that experience and to be able to move into a different direction. Um, Maggie just said, I probably need a good cry. You know, I probably do too. And I will take it later. Had a small cry earlier. I'll take a big cry later. It's good. Um, so yeah, so that's what I'm going to say on that. I have lots more to say on this topic. I think it's really interesting. I'm going to have to come back to it in another live and probably on the podcast. All right. Question number three, feeling guilty. Okay. Guilt came up on at least three or four people's, uh, submissions. Um, I'm feeling guilty for not two different people asked two different questions about two different families. Sounds like a very similar issue. Um, one person talked about the fact that they're feeling guilty for not, um, you know, basically like sending a card to someone in their family that has not been having a very loving relationship with them. And they feel like they should be kind of like giving this show of affection and love to someone um, when actually they they don't really want to. Um, and it doesn't feel like it's straight from the heart, but it feels like it's something that should be happening. Um, and someone else talked about feeling guilt over, uh, you know, visiting with their parents. And after a couple of days experiencing that they... Um, that they really like are having a hard time spending all their time with their parents and they feel guilty about that because there's all these narratives that we have in culture around guilt. I mean, that's me adding that, but you know, they're struggling with the guilt. So either way, guilt around shoulds, guilt around shoulds, especially family shoulds. Oh, I could spend hours on this, but let's just spend a little bit of time on it instead for now. So we live in a culture that says that we owe our love within families. Um, we begin that early on in our lives, uh, 
women especially get told that as mothers, that their job is to sacrifice themselves for their children um, and to give themselves up for raising a family. And so we have this cultural narrative around the fact that we have to give ourselves up for our family and that there are ways of being with our family that uh, mean that we show up to relationships no matter what kind of treatment we receive in return um, because family is about loyalty and because, you know, blood is thicker than water and because all of these things. Um, and so there's a lot of shoulds that a lot of us have around family um, and around n wanting to play by the rules of what a good daughter, sister, mother, wife, uh, cousin, granddaughter are, all of those things. Um, but the truth is some, sometimes those rules are very much at odds with the reality of our actual family system and our actual family situation. And um, we need to give ourselves permission um, to not to not keep ourselves boxed in based on those rules, but to allow ourselves to actually feel what we feel and make our choices according to what feels right in the moment. Um, and so I think when guilt comes up, let's kind of stay on the feelings or information train because that's where we're at right now. When guilt comes up, what that's doing is it's giving us a piece of information about beliefs we have about how we should act um, within our family system. Now, systems uh, work in a bunch of specific ways. One of my favorite ways to understand systems, um, especially when we start messing with them, um, is that, that there's kind of three ways that a system acts when we choose to act in a way that uh, doesn't work for the system. So all systems are based on survival. All systems are built in order to survive and thrive and evolve. Uh, the point of any system, whether we're talking about a small system like a family or a big system like uh, institutions such as schooling or government, systems are built for self-preservation. They're not built for the preservation of individuals. They're built for the preservation of the system, um, even when that includes a family system. And so all of us have these kind of unspoken rules in our families that we're all aware of, um, and sometimes that we're not aware of. And these rules are the ones that we're supposed to be living by in order to be a good family member. As we grow up, eventually we start realizing that we might actually have different rules for ourselves than our family has for us or that we don't like the rules that our family plays by. So for example, I'm a gay woman in a family that does not like uh, queerness, I guess is how I'm going to frame it. Um, and so that's a way that I break my systems, my family systems pattern of being in the world. Um, and so for me, in order to be able to be myself, I have to kind of like, here's the system and here's me. And I have to be like, uh, hey friends, like this system needs to change in order for me to remain part of it because otherwise it feels really unbearable for me. Um, and so what usually happens within systems is that there's kind of like a three-step process to systems dealing with change because once again, change is scary, doesn't always work well for evolution um, and continuation and systems are more interested in continuation than they are in evolution. Uh, individuals tend to be more interested in evolution. Systems tend to be interested in stagnation in terms of like survival. Um, and so here's what happens. Family system. One person decides, hey, I need a different kind of uh, rule here. This specific rule around like, don't be gay or, um, you know, don't say, don't talk about the drunk 
uh, uncle that always gets mad at Christmas and ruins everything. Um, or let's not address the like, um, matriarch's mental health issue here. Um, all of those rules that we're talking about, one person is like that rule no longer working for me. Actually guys, don't think it's working for anyone. It's keeping us all together, but in a really shallow way and it sucks. So when that person decides to speak up, the first thing that the system will do is that they will try and ply that person back to the system's way of being with love. So we've all experienced this. Um, this is like when, you know, we are in a friend group or in a family group and we're like, hey, I want to do something different. And everyone's like, oh, but we love you. And like, here's a gift. And like, we totally understand that this is the way you want to be. Uh, and you're totally welcome to be here. But secretly, like everyone's like really unhappy underneath. And you can like feel the tension in the room where you're like, you're like, hey, this is my boyfriend, Joe. Uh, but Joe's Jewish and secretly our whole family has a shit ton of anti-Semitism and it's really uncomfortable, but I love Joe. Uh, we bring Joe home. Um, Joe's awesome, but Joe's like not getting a chance. Everyone plays nice on the outside, but underneath is like seething and you can feel it. That's step number one. Step number one that systems do is that they play nice and try and bait and seduce you back to your their way of being. Uh, someone said, so true, in a system, stagnation is survival. Yes, 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 totally. So step one, um, in terms of system. Okay, step two, if that doesn't work, if the system can't woo you back, if they can't seduce you back to their way of operating, step two, a system will shame you. A system will make you feel like shit about your choice. Um, because the system will say, this is not how we do things here. Actually, this isn't okay. Actually, you're hurting our feelings. Actually, you're being abusive by living according to your own rules. Actually, you're being selfish. Who's heard those things before? I have this guy right here. This human woman right here. Um, so step two is that systems will make us feel guilty. Um, now, this is what both of these people... It, that asked the question, I think are probably experiencing some of the guilt that is part of um, kind of like breaking the rules and then feeling like breaking the rules isn't okay if you still want to stay part of the system and stay part of the family. Um, and so this is a really difficult place to navigate. Okay, step three. Once we get to step three, if wooing isn't working, if guilting and shaming isn't working and name calling, then usually we get to step three. Now, step three can go one of two ways. Step number, like one way is that the system will either temporarily or permanently kick you out. The system will say, nope, the way that we work and the way that we function is so important to us that you either follow our rules or you get out. Most people have experienced this in a friendship group at some point or another, even if it's just a relationship with one other person. Um, that's kind of the simplest example to see this. So when we have a system can just be two people in a relationship. And sometimes, you know, a certain partner we have or a certain friend we'll have will kind of say like, hey, you stop playing by the rules where I either take advantage of you or walk all over your boundaries or get to call you names or get to blame you or... Um, you know, or even something simple, you know, uh, and so like you need to either start following that rule again, start acting in the way that you used to act, or we are no longer going to be a thing. And sometimes we aren't. Sometimes you have to leave the system either temporarily or permanently because the system is unwilling to shift or can't shift. Now, the other thing that's possible and can happen is that sometimes 
the system will eventually shift around you. Sometimes that system will shift uh, after you leave for a while, and sometimes that system will shift without cutting you out because the system treasures you more than its own survival and status quo, and so it will basically figure out how to work its way around you and how to change itself and will threaten itself in that process in order to make you fit into the system in order to not lose you. Now, if the system loses you, it's like so not your fault. I just want that to be super, super clear. Um, That's my personal situation in life is that I do not communicate with my parents um, in large part other than kind of like pretty superficial things um, because that is not a system that can be supportive of who I am. Um, And so I choose to kind of like hang out on the side line because I like to be part of systems that are supportive of me and that are values aligned with who I am. But sometimes there's possibility for change and there's possibility for my family system change and there might be possibility for your family system change, but it is totally a-okay to leave a system when it's no longer working for you. So for the person that said, uh, that talked about, you know, visiting with our parents and recognizing a few days into the visit, like, hey, I left this 10 years ago, and this is reminding me why, and it's making me feel awful to be here. Um, this is just a reminder of why you left, and there's nothing wrong with you. Um, and often there's actually not necessarily even anything wrong with the system that you're leaving behind. Um, sometimes you're just not a match in terms of values and boundaries. Um, and so this is a great reminder of the fact that this isn't a system that supports you in this way consistently. And so I would like kind of loop back to the first question around feelings and needs and really get curious around like, okay, so when you notice that, when that guilt comes up, that's a good signal. This system doesn't support me. And so then it's a really good question to ask like, okay, what support do I need? If I'm going to be here visiting with family for a few more days, um, and functioning within the system that I have outgrown, like Sandra just said, um, what do I need to do to support myself? I might need to support myself by like giving myself some time and going for a long walk because I might need to cry about the fact that I outgrew the system because that's really hard. It's hard to grow, outgrow our parents and our family. There's grieving work there. Um, emotional labor is real labor. Grieving work is real work. It doesn't matter if you're grieving something that happened decades ago. That is real labor. And so when you can give yourself permission to grieve it and to take care of your needs, that is just like absolutely amazing. And that's your work. Um, So yeah, so that's that question. So there we go. I hope you enjoyed that episode and that you got a lot out of uh, hearing other people's questions. If you have questions that you want me to address on other Q&A episodes on this podcast, just shoot me an email at contact at bewith.org or just jump into my inbox on Instagram. I'm happy to receive questions there as well. Thank you to everyone who shared their questions. It supports all of us to have you formulate your human experience in your language because without a doubt other people resonate with it as well and so if there was something that really resonated with you today that maybe caused a few tears or just some emotions to move through for you I just want you to take really good care of yourself practice gentleness with yourself yes this is just a podcast but we are talking about real things here and real feelings and after that first uh, live I definitely got some very touching messages letting people letting me know that they um, were able to move through some feelings that have been feeling stuck or that they'd been feeling um, 
guilt over or that they've been judging themselves for for a long time. And so if you're in that category and you suddenly are have a lot of awareness that might be a little bit painful in noticing that you've been judging yourself for just having a normal human emotional experience, um, I want you to practice gentleness with yourself. Know that we are in a culture and in a society that treats feelings as a problem um, and so we come by that judgment of ourselves really quite honestly. Um, so remember that that's, even that's not really your fault that you judge yourself. Um, and that the first thing you can do is not judge yourself for the judgment. So if you can even begin to drop that judgment, then slowly over time, you're going to drop more and more judgments as you make your way forward towards um, compassionate everyday practice. Thank you everyone for listening to this episode. Let me know what you think of it. As always, please share with your friends um, or even just with one friend who you think might be in a similar situation to one of the questions that you heard addressed on this episode. And if you feel like it, leave a review um, or share on Instagram what when you're listening to this, give give me the download. Show me. Are you driving? Are you washing your dishes? Are you going for a walk? I'd love to see what you're up to while you're listening to these podcasts because I get up to all sorts of things and sometimes I, I think in my head like, oh, it'd be really funny right now if I sent a video to, I don't know, one of my podcast heroes of me like, you know, I don't know, making a vision board while I listen to their podcast. That doesn't seem so weird. I wanted to make something up like gluing sequins onto a stuffed unicorn, but that's not something I've ever really done because I'm not that crafty. Um, but yeah, uh, either way, let me know. Thanks so much for tuning in and I will see you and talk to you very, very soon. Bye. Bye.